Good morning, church. This morning we're going to read John chapter 18. So if you'll open your Bibles, I will begin to read. John 18, verse 1 starts out, says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who had betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, who was the father of the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Then the high priest uh, questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it 
and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man was not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Then the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered him, you say that I am a king. For this person I was, purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today, and particularly in the reading of this passage, and I recognize what a sinful world we are living in and what sinners we are. We come before you, Lord, and ask for your forgiveness. Um, our country, Father, has exchanged good for evil and evil for good, and we call right wrong and wrong right. And, uh, Lord, we are just a complete and total wreck. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen your church, that we would uh, be men and women who see what's happening around us and know how to respond. We pray for your strength and your uh, peace in our lives as we seek to uh, do the right thing in this messed up world. I pray, God, for all of our government from Washington, D.C., the president, the vice president, all of our senators and representatives, down to the individual states, down to our communities, and certainly, Lord, for the leaders of the church. I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would give them wisdom, and that they would seek to glorify you. Father, I ask that you just give Jackie uh, the words to say that you want him to say this morning. I pray that all of us would have open hearts, open minds, and open ears. And it is our desire, Lord, to glorify you in everything we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we come together to take a look at 
the trial of Jesus. To me, it's kind of interesting that he's still on trial today. If you have spent any time on the news, uh, in reading, seems like lately, probably this last couple of years, uh, you don't go very long before there's somebody who's renouncing Christ, right? Uh, well, I used to believe, but I'm not a believer anymore. I used to follow. I used to write songs about Jesus, or I sang in a band about him, and they have abandoned him. It's interesting that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're told that in the last days, one of the things that would mark the last days is the apostasia, the great falling away. And oftentimes, ask myself if that's what we're looking at these days. As I think about the trial of Jesus, I think about some of these same things that are going on in the world. We see him being abandoned by his disciples. We see him led before the court of popular opinion and their being crucified. The scripture tells us that he was brought before Annas. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. Annas was what you would consider the biblical high priest. A high priest served for life. But the Romans didn't like Annas. So they deposed him and the Romans put Caiaphas in in his place. So the Jews, when they arrested Jesus, they took him to the power behind the power. They took him to Annas. Now at this time, the corruption in the, the Jewish society, Annas and Caiaphas are more like mob bosses than they are like anything that would resemble a high priest. They make a lot of money on sacrifices. They make sure that only temple animals are approved. So people no longer bring their own sacrifice. It's no longer from their own flock. It's no longer of their own. They just come, exchange money for temple money, and buy out of a, a prescribed flock that was approved by uh, Caiaphas so that they would pass the inspection when they brought their sacrifice. And all of those animals, who do you think owned them? Yeah, so you have this, you have this incredible uh, conspiratorial religious... A group that is gathered to bring Christ up to trial. So they bring him to, to Annas. It says, a high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. So they begin the trial. Now, the trial begins at night, which is not supposed to happen. And when the trial starts, the way it would work, and you'll see this in the next verses, the way it would work is you would start with the defense's witnesses first. So they would first bring the charge, you're charged of whatever, and then the defense would present the witnesses that he had uh, in, in order to support his claim uh, of innocence. So they begin by asking him first about his disciples and then about his teaching. Now, what did they want to know about the disciples? What do you think? Where, where do you live? Give me a list. What's the name? Who's all the people that are following you? Now, they're going to come face-to-face -face with the disciples, these same guys, so, so they'll get to know them uh, rather intimately and realize they won't be able to shut them up. But they are asking for that list, and that, throughout Scripture, Jesus doesn't give any of those things. 
If you remember in the Gospel of John, John chapter 5 is when this all began. Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. And they began to seek uh, to charge him with blasphemy and to kill him. Now we're in John chapter 18. We're at the culmination of that long night. Remember the several chapters. We had all the same night. He's been arrested. Now he's that same evening. Uh, standing before Annas and being questioned before him. So Jesus answered and said, I have, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews have come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. So Jesus is just proceeding like you would in a trial. Okay, well then bring forth the witnesses. Bring forth my witnesses. It's not like... Nobody around here knows what I, what I used to say. I did it at the temple. They didn't have a hard time finding him. He was at the temple daily teaching, bringing these things out. But what he doesn't say is anything about the disciples. Because beginning in this chapter, we've seen it all the way through. Jesus said, don't worry about them. You worry about me. There's an important thing we need to glean from that. Because more people get upended and upset in their faith by spending way too much time focused on the disciples and not enough time focused on Jesus. When Peter, in, in a few chapters, or three chapters, we're going to see Peter and Jesus, and Jesus is going to restore Peter after his denial, and he's going to tell Peter, look, look Peter, one day you're going to make a stand, and the stand will be such that they will kill you the same way they killed me. And Peter looks over at John and says, well, what about him? Because this is, our, this is the way we're bent. We're bent to look at and measure ourselves by one another. And what does Jesus tell Peter? If I want him to live until I come, what's that to you? You come follow me. When we discuss the idea about being a disciple, a follower of Christ, then we need to recognize, I'm not trying to say that, that there should be no standard and we shouldn't hold people to a standard. We should, but your eyes should be on Christ. Yeah. Your eyes should be on him. So these guys want to know about the disciples. Jesus, in, this, in these two verses, he says, I have, I have, I have, I have, I said. He's all about me. Look at me, he's telling them. Look at me. The savior of the world standing before the examination of Annas. Now the officer standing next to him says, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing next to him struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is this how you ought to answer the high priest? Whenever I read that, I always think the same thing. How are you supposed to answer the creator of the universe? I bet it's not like that. And I, I don't know the, the state of this, this person. We're not told who he is, whether he becomes a believer or not. But one day he'll stand there. And we'll see in Scripture a little bit later on. One day he'll stand there before the Son of Man, seated at the throne of God who will judge the nations. How should you answer the creator of all the universe? Jesus said to him, now if, I have said, if what I've said is wrong, bear witness of the wrong. 
if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Have you ever noticed that, especially in our world today, it is almost impossible for two people who have conflicting ideas to, to talk? And if they're talking, let's just say, for example, you have two protests going on at the same time. Protest A, protest B. B's against A, A's against B. And if they meet on a street corner, what's going to happen? That for some reason you can't discuss anything because at some point you fall back into this idea that might makes right. So if I can whoop you, then I must be right. But the problem is anytime we revert to violence, all we're doing is proving that we do not have what is necessary intellectually to continue on the conversation. You see this in marriages all the time. In marriages, we should be able to sit down and discuss whatever, this, whatever the problem is. The problem is not one or the other. It's a thing. Whatever the thing is, we should be able to discuss that problem. But what happens is somebody gets agitated. Somebody gets frustrated. And then pretty soon we're hollering. And then we're yelling. And then somebody breaks a table or a door or a window or jumps up and runs out of the house. And the problem is we couldn't win the argument, and so we revert to violence. That's how we're made. This whole section, I just want you to see one thing as we go through this whole section. This is a description of who we really are. Now, a lot of people don't want to look at that. A lot of people don't want to look at who they really are in the mirror. I prefer to look at me as something else. I'd like to look into the mirror and think, oh, I don't look that bad. I'm not that fat. I'm not that out of shape. When I walk upstairs and I'm out of breath, I go, I'm not really out of breath. I'm just, I'm just, Lord, less oxygen up here. (laughs) We don't want to look at the reality. And this is what this chapter is going to challenge us with. In Micah 5.1, there's an interesting verse in Micah 5.1, just, just in consideration of this man striking Jesus. In Micah, the prophet says this, Now, muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us, and with a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Interesting. Keep that on the side. Consider that for a moment. Then we see the examination. It says, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And so now we leave Annas, which was probably somewhere in the same neighborhood, because the, just like today, the well-off communities all live together. And the high priest and his family were some of the richest people in all of Jerusalem. So they're all going to be in the same neighborhood. So, so Annas, he gets them first, and then they go from Annas' house to Caiaphas' house, they're probably along the same neighborhood gathered to go before Jesus or to go before Caiaphas and continue the judgment that has begun. In Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 14, we, we get a little bit of insight into what's going on. It says, Now they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, ran into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. 
Now the chief priests, the whole council, were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Many bore false witness against him, but their testimony could not agree. You ever watch court when they're doing one of their crazy governmental trials and wonder how can anybody believe any of the things these people are saying? Because it can't, you can't seem to get two people to say the same thing. You know, and if they do, they just stop talking about that and they, they move on to something else. Well, here you have false witnesses. They come in. They can't agree. They stand up, bear false witness. Um, and they said this, we heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this testimony, they could not agree. And the high priest stood up in the middle of it and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Now, what they're trying to do is find some way to charge him. Because they don't have anything. Because the Bible declares that Jesus, in order to be the atoning sacrifice for the world, had to be innocent. So over and over again, you're going to hear that phrase. I can find nothing wrong with this man. Caiaphas is standing up and saying, you have anything to say? They, they want him to, to somehow condemn himself by what he says. Jesus remained silent. He made no answer. Again, the high priest said, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Same thing as saying, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Is this who you are? And Jesus said, I am. So that's pretty plain, right? Is anybody confused about whether or not Jesus said ever said he was the Messiah or ever said he was the Son of God? He said, I am. Now listen to what he says. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So Jesus not only claims to be Messiah, but he also says, I am the judge of all the world. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but if you're paying attention, if you're a Bible student who spends time reading the word, then you'll know that Jesus is quoting from Daniel 7, which also leads us to Psalm 110.1. In Daniel 7, verse 13, it says, Now, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven... There came one like the Son of Man, and he came unto the Ancient of Days. So you have the coming of the Son of Man standing before the Ancient of, of Days. Two beings before the throne of Almighty God. Uh, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It shall not pass away. His kingdom the one that shall not be destroyed. So you have the Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days, Yahweh, the, the, the figure that we would call the Father. You have the Son coming before the Father, the Father setting him on the throne and saying, you are now the ruler of this kingdom. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when Jesus said, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of Almighty coming, with the clouds of heaven, he's referring to this judgment scene in Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel chapter 7, if you read it, will refer you straight to Psalm 110, 1 and 2, 
which is linked together with Daniel chapter 7. Psalm 110 says this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Sit it at the right hand of power. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. When the work is finished, Jesus ascends to heaven. This is the scene that occurs. Jesus it dies, is buried, he rises again, and then he ascends to the Father. And when he ascends to the Father, you have what Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7 taking place. Jesus being proclaimed king of, he who humbled himself is exalted, right? Isn't that what Philippians chapter 2 tells us? And so he's exalted. His name is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will and every tongue will to the glory of God the Father. So you have him being exalted, seated at, the, at that throne until God makes his enemies a footstool. Verse 2 of Psalm 110, so the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your enemies. So over and over you're going to have Jesus making this reference. My kingdom's not here, but he is a king. He is a king. And his kingdom will never pass away. So we have this reference in Mark. So when Mark says he's standing before Caiaphas, he's, Jesus is going to stand up and say, hey, I'm, the, I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm the judge of all the universe. And one day, I'm standing before you now, but one day you're going to stand before me. And the high priest tore his robe. And he says, what, what, what need have we for further testimony? He has blasphemed. Why? Because he just made himself God. And so they're going to kill him because he said he is God. That he is God in the flesh. And they're going to put, Pilate is going to put a sign over Jesus' head. Right? He's going to put a sign over his head. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, which creates an acrostic. And the acrostic really makes the priests unhappy. Because Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, creates the acrostic, Y-H-W-H, on the sign above the cross, which is a tetragrammaton, otherwise known as Yahweh, nailed above the cross, the acrostic, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, the acrostic, the very thing he tearing his robe. In fact, the priests say, don't write that, right? He said he was. Because if they change it to he said he was, they change the acrostic. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. So here you have Jesus making this proclamation in Mark. In Mark 15, 1, it says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with elders and scribes, the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and brought him to Pilate. So that's what Mark tells us is happening. But you know that the word of God tells us that this is something that, that God had ordained before the foundation of the world. Acts chapter 2 lets us know that. And Psalm 2, listen to what Psalm 2 says. All this stuff is going on. Psalm 2 says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together 
against the Lord and his anointed. So what is it they're doing? They're, this is a trial against God. This is a rejection of him and his provision of salvation to those who will submit themselves and come to him. It's a rejection of God. They set themselves, they take counsel against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. We want free of this. These are not, this is not a high priest who's trying to find out the truth and doesn't really believe the things Jesus claimed. This is a high priest who couldn't care less about religion. It didn't matter. Religion was a path to money, to power. The same way a lot of people come to to religion or, or the source of religion today. That's why you have so much corruption. Because the problem with religion is we're in it. And when we come, we bring all our stuff. You know, all the stuff we want that we don't tell nobody about. Remember I told you it's about looking in the mirror. It's about looking in the mirror and seeing who we really are. Well, while this is going on, back in John, John 18, verse 25, it says that, that Simon Peter is there. He's moved from Annas' house to Caiaphas' house. He's in the courtyard. It says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it. Now, this is the same night. Jesus just told him at dinner a few hours earlier when he proclaimed, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, you're going to deny me before the, before the rooster crows in the morning. You're going to deny me three times. Sat night. It's not like it was a week ago and Peter forgot. This is the second time he's asked. He denies it, says I'm not. Then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man that, whose ear Peter cut off, said, didn't I see you in the garden? Now, this is kind of a hard one to get over, right? Peter, you cut off his cousin's ear. You were kind of the center of attention there for a minute. All these guys come to arrest Jesus. There's this guy getting his ear lopped off. That's kind of a big deal. Jesus heals him, puts the ear back on, tells you to put away your sword. And a guy who was there and saw you said, weren't you there? Hey, Malchus, I'm sure he's looking for his cousin. Malchus. Is this a dude cut off your ear? They come to Peter. This is the third one. Did I not see you in the garden? And so Peter denied. Third denial. And what happened? Rooster crowed. Did he remember then? We know he did. The Gospel of Matthew tells us about it. And so does the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke's my favorite. So we'll look, we'll look at that. Luke 22 from 54 to 62 is, is the section. And, and to me, it really brings the, the whole picture together. It says, then they, they seized him, they led him away, brought him to the high priest's house. Peter was following at a distance, and they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, sat down together. Peter sat down among them, and a servant girl, seeing him in the light, looked closely at him and said, this man was with them. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little while later, someone else said, you are one of them, but Peter said, no, I'm not one of them. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted. Yeah, because he was in the garden. Certainly this man was also with him. He too's a Galilean. 
But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, while those words are still coming out of his mouth, the rooster crowed, listen, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This is all the same courtyard. They're in the same place. Now, while Jesus may not be able to hear the conversation that Peter's having on the other side of the courtyard, he knows what's going on over there, doesn't he? He already told him earlier that night, you're going to deny three times. You're going to deny me three times. And it says, and Peter remembered the things the Lord has said to him before the rooster crows today. You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter looked in the mirror. Peter saw who he was before the judge of all of Israel, before the creator of the universe. Peter had an image of who he thought he was. You and I, we have that too. And then he looked deep into the mirror that showed who he really is. There is no greater moment in a person's life than when they look into that mirror and see themselves for who they are. Because it is at that moment you will do one of two things. You will either raise your hands to a Savior and call his name, Lord, save me. Or you will turn away from the mirror and forget what you saw there. And say, that's not really me. So, Peter, until that day, did not understand his own depravity. Until the day I stood in a colonel's office in the Marine Corps uh, and heard the news that I heard about uh, um, having tested positive for HIV, I did not know my own depravity. Until I had to look into my mirror. Until you look in yours. This is what this chapter is all about. Why is he telling us all this? Why does he tell us about Peter? Why does he tell us about the guy who punched him in the face? Why does he tell us about, about all this in the trial? Because he's shining a mirror. Jesus is standing. This, this beautiful, perfect, amazing God is standing before these men. Holy and innocent. And he's holding their mirror. And they are all transferring their sin to him. Which is exactly what's supposed to happen on Yom Kippur to the sacrifice. Right? The sin being transferred. That he who knew no sin would become my sin sacrifice. That I might become the righteousness of God. This is exactly what's going on. This is exactly what the scripture is talking about. Now, they take him from Caiaphas, and now they're going to take him to Pilate. It says, so they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, John 18, 28, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. So I just want you to know what early morning means. It's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So there's been no sleep. It's been a long day, right? 
Jesus washed their feet at dinner time. They took a long walk over to the to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's arrested. He's been taken to Annas. He's been taken to Caiaphas. There's been multiple beatings that have taken place during that time. And now he's being brought at that same morning, early in the morning, sometime between 3 and 6, to Pilate. Their hypocrisy knows no bounds because it is the first day of unleavened bread. Leading up to the Passover, the first day of unleavened bread, there was this action that was supposed to take place where you have to remove all leaven. All leaven. The, the, you, you have to, you, usually they spend three days removing all leaven before Passover. So that, that's yeast. So there's no yeast. Nothing has ever touched yeast. No little tiny speck of yeast. It all needs to be removed. Leaven in Scripture is, is a, a, a picture, an illustration of sin. And so this was all supposed to be removed. So they don't want to go into the praetorium, to the Antonio Fortress. They don't want to walk in because you know what's in there. Gentiles, and they have yeast on them. Those guys are sinners. We can't go in there. Those guys, those guys will make us unclean. We who are bringing an innocent man to be put to death, they will make us unclean. You see the hypocrisy, right? Look in the mirror. The Lord is telling us these things for a reason. That we would see our own tendencies in them, in these stories. They didn't enter the governor's quarter so that they would not be defiled and could eat the Passover. Because that matters when you're murdering someone. <laughs> so Pilate went outside to them. And he said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would, have delivered, uh, we would not have delivered him over to you. So literally, they look at Jesus and they call him malevolent. And they call him that. In a that he's continuously malevolent doesn't mean he did an evil thing once, it means he's continuously doing evil things. That's why we brought him to you. In Acts 10 38, the testimony among the people of Jesus was that how God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That was the testimony of the people. What did they say? He's constantly, continuously doing evil. He is malevolent, not benevolent. Malevolent is continuously evil. Benevolent, continuously good. He's not, he's not about that. This, guy, this guy's always doing evil. So Pilate said to him, well, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. So the Jews said, it's not lawful for us to put someone to death. They're not looking for judgment. What are they looking for? Death. Get rid of him. He needs to be gone. We Once and for all, we need to be free. I'm telling you, you're not very far in our day and age from hearing people profess in the public square, we need to be absolutely and finally free of this character Jesus Christ who is who is, who has the audacity to tell us the difference between right and wrong in a day and age when we say everything is right and nothing is wrong 
just like this trial. Take them yourselves and judge them. We can't put them to death. Verse 32, this was to fulfill the word Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. Listen to what Jesus had told his disciples. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. So as Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will deliver him to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and will rise on the third day. So Jesus said this on the way. Why is it important? Because if the Jews condemned him to die, how would they kill him? They'd stone him. They would stone him. They'd take him to the same quarry, because there's rocks in a quarry, and they would stone him there. But they're going to turn him over to the Gentiles because the Bible says he's going to be crucified. 800 years before crucifixion existed, David wrote Psalm 22, describing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and exactly the thoughts that would be going through his head during it. If you've never read Psalm 22, you should do that. 800 years before crucifixion existed, Psalm 22 was written. So, Pilate brings Jesus into his headquarters because if you're condemned to die, it doesn't matter if you're unclean. So, the scribes and the Pharisees stay outside. Jesus is brought inside the Antonio Fortress with Pilate. They bring him in. So, Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus to him, and asked him. He's going to ask him. I think there's five questions here. He's going to ask him first. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus asked him a question in return. Do you say this of your own accord or did others tell you about me? Why do you ask me that question? Well, that's the charge they're making. Now, we're going to have three questions back to back. So, Pilate asked a question. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus asked him a question. Why are you asking me that? Did somebody tell you that? Then Pilate's going to say, am I a Jew? So three questions back to back. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation. The chief priests have delivered you over to me. Next question. What have you done? What have you done that you're brought here? So Jesus answers. Now he's going to answer the beginning of the first question. My kingdom is not of this world. Are you a king? Yes, he's saying I'm a king. But my kingdom's not here. My kingdom is not here. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I would not be delivered to the Jews. My, this is not my kingdom. This, this is ultimately the birth. This is the cause of the birth of the kingdom of Christ. The crucifixion. That's the birthday. That's the opening up for his kingdom. Remember when the... When the Son of man ascends to the Father. He says, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. You're the king. You're the king. Jesus said, oh, my, my kingdom's not here. If it was, we'd be fighting. We're not fighting. 
My kingdom is not from the world. My kingdom is not from the world. Now, Pilate wants to know, what have you done? What have you done? Jesus doesn't answer that question, so Pilate says to him, well, then you are a king. You have a kingdom, you are a king. Jesus answered and said, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is why I've come. This is what I am doing. This is what I am accomplishing. This is what I want to... This is, this is what everything is about. So we have, so you understand the picture. Jesus is going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. He's going to walk with his disciples for, for a few weeks. Then he's going to rise up into the heavens where the Father is going to elevate his name above every name, sit him on the throne and say, you have a kingdom. And sit here. I will make, this is the Father speaking, I will make all your enemies your footstool. You will have victory. The kingdom of Christ will have victory. So Pilate says, then you are a king. Jesus said, yeah, this is why I've come, to establish the kingdom. How do, you, how do we enter into that kingdom? Ephesians tells us, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 tells us, when you hear the gospel and receive, believe what the gospel says, you enter into Christ. You become part of the body of Christ. You enter into the kingdom. We have a king. We don't have a president. We didn't have a president 100 years ago. We had a king. His name's Jesus. We will have a king if the Lord tarries 100 years from now. We have a king. I have a king that I am beholding to. I have a king of glory that I won't renounce. I have a king that I won't turn my back to. I don't care what they want. I don't care what they say. In Canada, we had a pastor recently who was locked up because he wouldn't stop meeting. People uh, get on either side of the argument, whether he should, whether he shouldn't, doesn't matter. He said, he felt like, I'm not going to close the doors. You don't want to come, don't come. Last I checked, you still go to Walmart in Canada. Or anywhere else you want to. But you can't go to church. So they put him in prison. They said, we're not going to let you out of prison until you say you will no longer preach or meet. And he said, no. So they held him in the prison for a while until finally they couldn't get away with holding him anymore. They released him. So he promptly had Easter service. The next day, the government showed up and put fence around the church and locked the door so no one could go into the church again. I will tell you this, it's a wasted effort because the church is not the building. And I promise you they met somewhere. This is the world we are entering into. This is the place that we are going. As we, as we go, as we come to that place, I hope 
will be reminded of who Jesus is. I hope he's your king. I hope he's your savior. I hope you know him as everything you'll ever need. So Jesus said, look, I came to bear witness to the truth. What's the truth? That he is God in the flesh and that he had become our sin sacrifice so that we might, the good news is, so that we might have a relationship with God. So we might enter in, that we can be saved through Christ. That we can be saved from sin, from the wrath of God. That we can be placed into his hands. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that you are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through what? The Lord Jesus Christ. He has saved us. This is the truth. He's delivering. And Pilate asks his last question. What is truth? And after this, he turned around and went back outside to the Jews. He didn't wait for an answer. Just like the world's not waiting for an answer today. Currently, truth is whatever you want it to be. Right? Whatever, you're, you have your truth, I have my truth. It doesn't really work that way, but that's our proclamation, right? If, if Rusty pulls me over and my truth is different from his truth, I still get a ticket. No? If I go before the judge and my truth is different than his truth, I still go to jail, right? So we don't live in a world where, where, where truth is relative. But that's our proclamation. There's, there's no truth. We turn, the world turns her back and walks away before the one who proclaimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, what is it that Pilate went out to tell the people? He declares him innocent. He walks outside and says, I, there's, I find no guilt. He's not guilty. What usually happens when you get a not guilty? Verdict from the judge. You don't usually get hung then, do you? That's not normally what happens. They don't usually say, not guilty, and put you in an electric chair. That's not how that works. But here, Pilate declares, I find no guilt in him. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, <coughs> Paul is charging Timothy and other believers to be prepared to give the good confession. These days we are in, believers in Jesus Christ need to be prepared to give the good confession. If you're not, you won't. History shows it over and over again. History is replete after Christ dies, is resurrected, is risen to the right hand of the Father, persecution rises in the church. You know one of the hardest things the church had to learn to overcome was the people who denied Jesus when they were standing before the Romans and they, they wanted to come back into the church and then they have their brothers who died who didn't deny him. And they're, they're trying to deal with this. How do we deal? How, how are we supposed to deal with this? Paul, in his charge, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13, he says this, I charge you in the presence of God 
who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Jesus stood. He said who he was. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor, eternal dominion. Amen. He's saying we want to be men and women, followers of Jesus Christ, who are so committed in our following of Jesus Christ that when we have to stand before our pilot, we'll be able to make the good confession. I think the road to that is this. You have to be able to look into the mirror of your soul and know who you are. You have to be able to admit it. You have to be able to recognize your failures like Peter did. He denied the Lord three times. You have to be able to, to admit your failure like the disciples who all scattered, right? All of them ran away when he was being arrested. They all probably thought, if he's being arrested, we'll do something, right? I'm not, I'm not going to run. But they all ran. Because while we have this desire inside of us to be the hero of the story, Jesus is the hero of the story, and we are the ones being saved. We're not the Savior. He is. If we can look at our own face and see who we are, when we stand before Pilate, it's going to be really easy to point at Jesus. It's going to be really easy to proclaim his glory, his majesty, not my own. I know who I am. I know my weakness, my frailty. I know who makes me what I am, and it's not me. It's Christ. To be able to make this proclamation, to be able to stand at the side of truth incarnate, the truly innocent one, holy one, to be able to be in that place and proclaim the truth of who Christ is. Now Pilate walks outside. Verse 39, last couple verses. He said, you have a custom. I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. We know, actually we know a lot of things about Barabbas. His name means son of son of a father. Probably Barabbas gets his name because he's illegitimate. That was actually the charge of Jesus, right? When the scribes and the Pharisees said, well, at least we know who our father is. 
uh, Barabbas' son, his name is son of a father, uh, um, that he picks up that name because he nobody knows who his dad is. Well, he's the son of a father. Jesus is son of the father. Barabbas, son of a father. They stand in this place. Here's what we know the scriptures tell us about him. <clears throat> Mark tells us that Barabbas was imprisoned with men who had taken part in an insurrection. He was famous for an insurrection against Rome in which he committed murder, meaning he murdered a Roman. Luke adds that Barabbas himself was a murderer. John tells he was a robber. That means his tendency was to uh, rob violently. That's the difference between a, a robber and a thief. A thief breaks in and steals. A robber beats you with a club and takes what you have. So in the act of robbing, he had murdered someone. Matthew says, Barabbas was notorious. He was popular among the people. When you put all this together, it would seem that Barabbas was a member of a resistance. And because of his opposition to Rome, some of the people viewed him as a hero. To many of the Jews, they had no hesitation in preferring him over the Galilean because he had killed a Roman. There is irony in the fact that the priest persuaded the people to ask and secure the release of a man who was guilty so that a man who was innocent could take his place. What we need to know is I am Barabbas. We who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are Barabbas. We are the guilty set free that the innocent would pay our penalty, would pay our price. So the same thing that happened on that day in the courtyard is he goes out and he says, well then, choose this day. Choose. We still need to make a choice. We got to choose. Jesus or myself. You have to look. Maybe you're like Peter. Maybe you're like John. Maybe you're like one of the nameless, faceless disciples. Or maybe your failure is your own. It doesn't matter. The Bible says we all have sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. That that sin places me as a child of wrath. Awaiting the wrath of God. But Jesus Christ has come to give me salvation from the wrath of God. To save me from my sin. But the first part of that is being able to say, I am a sinner. I have failed. Forgive me. Save me.
lift our eyes. As I always like to picture this, you know, as Barabbas comes walking out, he's pretty stoked. If you're you're Barabbas, you just got to let go, you'd be stoked, right? He comes out of there all excited. He doesn't even know the story. Why am I set free? How'd I get loose? What's going on? These people are shouting his name. Yeah, we like that, right? Woohoo! I feel good. But eventually he turns around and sees the one who's carrying his cross, right? I wonder what kind of effect that had on him. There's a reason the Bible doesn't tell us. Because we're supposed to put ourselves there. We're in the story. That's our place marker. And it's Jesus Christ who died to set us free. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word, God, the truth that we may come face to face with this. One of the most incredible things that the word of God declares to us is that God so loved the world that is filled with sinners and people at enmity with the Lord, people at war with God, and yet God loved it and gave his son for it. And he didn't give his son to condemn the world. He gave his son that the world might be saved. And so even as we work our way through the the narrative and we see the story that we've seen so many times, over and over again, written in the narrative are those placeholders for me. People who aren't named, the two men on the road to, to Emmaus. They're just disciples who think that everything's over, but Jesus meets them and tells them it's not. Barabbas set free so that another would take his place. I have been saved from the wrath of God by the Son of God who bore the wrath of God for me. And I can't even begin, just so we're clear, that has, I don't know that that has that much to do with the cross. I don't know if we truly will ever even begin to fathom what took place there. (coughs) On the spiritual plane, what was that all about? I don't, I don't know. All I know is I am just a worm, less than a man. That's what Jesus is saying in Psalm 22. I am a worm and no man. He took my place. And I, for one, will live the rest of my days giving him mine. even then it's not fair trade I'll live my life here in the hope that standing around the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 that there will be an opportunity for me to take a crown that I have as a result of what Christ did in my life and cast it at his feet he is the only real potentate. He is.
is King of kings, Lord of lords, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I just pray that we are able to, to know we need you and then to trust that you will do in us what you always do. As you say, I see you, I know who you are, and I know what you will become. So make us like you. Prepare us for these days. Prepare us for this time. And may we live every day with our eyes lifted up into the heavens. For we know where our help comes from. May we go day by day, eagerly watching and waiting for the return of the great King. And may you be glorified, Lord God Almighty, in all we do. We'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name.